Blog Talk Radio. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense. Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Good morning again. This is Pastor Vincent Xavier. It is Friday. It's great to be with you today. Sorry for the technical difficulties we had around nine o'clock this morning. Everything was shut down. We couldn't get to it, but we're glad to be back on the air now. And for those of you that are rejoining the broadcast, you're brave soldiers. God bless you. I pray the Holy Spirit will have something for you that will be a real blessing to you. Okay. So what we were talking about just a few moments ago before we went off the air was the question as to where we are in the economy of heaven, in the economy of God. And what we mean by that is there is, from God's perspective in heaven, he is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. We know that. We know that everything in creation is under his observation He created everything really good, right? But the Bible makes it very clear that there is nothing that is hidden from God, not even a man's thoughts, not not even a man's heart. God knows the number of the hairs upon every single head of 8 billion people, and he's called the stars by their names. I mean, God is absolutely, biblically, realistically amazing. To think that God knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows what thoughts are in your heart. He knows everything about you and is intimate with you and personal with you and knows your past, your present, your future, and that he is that way with every living creature on this earth. Now, the reason I say that is that from God's perspective, 
He knows when things begin and he knows when things end. He knows the expiration date of all things, okay? And so from his perspective is what we need to understand. Where are we in time? Not according to my logic or my reasoning or my thinking or my imagination or my will or my desire or my wants. Where are we? Does the Bible afford such an answer? Can we know where we are in the economy of God concerning things upon this earth? And I believe the answer is yes. And so what we were just talking about a few moments ago was, do we view this moment as a moment of restoration, revival, a resurgence of American power and spiritual influence? Do we see America and the nations of the earth coming into a uh, renewal? Do we see this? Is that where we are? Is the force of God on this earth, which is the church, and every time I use the word church, please remember that the word church comes from a Greek word, ekklesia, and that word ekklesia means called out ones. So, I'm talking to men and women that have been called out of the world, called out of the flesh, called out from among devils. I mean, we've literally been called out. And I think one of the great scriptures that refers to our being called out is in Colossians 1.13. In Colossians 1.13, the Bible tells us, and I think it's a very powerful passage of scripture, it simply says concerning Jesus Christ, that he, uh, let me just pick it up in verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. So to me, that speaks of the greatest transition of what the church really is, called out ones, those who have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. So every time we refer to the word church, then we are talking about the called out ones who have been separated unto God. And I believe that the church, the elect of God, the ecclesia, that is the mechanism of God's strength. I mean, it is through the church, and I'll give you an example of what we're saying here. In Ephesians chapter 1, getting down to the very last verses, where it talks about Jesus uh, in verse 21 being far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, speaking of Jesus. Then he says in 22, and has put all things under his feet, And gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. The church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. So the body of Christ really is the mechanism of God's strength and power. And God could use anything he wants to, even a donkey if he has to, but he has a house. He has a tabernacle for his power to abide. 
He has a body where his anointing can thrive. He has a ecclesia. He has a temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the true habitation of God in the spirit are, is in the hearts of men and women who have been called out. That's what we call the church. The church is not a building on a corner. That's not the biblical definition of a church. That is a gathering place for the church, okay, the building on the corner or wherever. So God has to do things or has chosen to do things through the church in the earth. Okay, it's through the church 2,000 years ago when the church age began that God began to bring forth his word, his light, his will, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his understanding. He brought a new covenant. But he didn't do that by showing up and talking to everybody. He did it by revelation to individuals. And for those who came to faith in Christ and that government that God had established in Jerusalem, God by his spirit spoke, and it was through the church that everything became reality. I mean, that's just the way it works. So the question then remains, what is the church supposed to be telling the world right now? Is the church here to tell America, okay, I'm talking about a, um, a, a nation like every other nation in the world, a secular nation, or a nation that once embraced the values of the kingdom of Christ but have turned far away from them, is the, is the message from God's heart to America, I'm sending revival so that you could be resurgent in your power, strength, influence among the nations of the earth. I'm bringing my light and my glory so that your nation will once again be filled with righteousness. Your streets will be overflowing with joy and happiness and peace. A moral righteousness is coming back to your nation. I'm removing all the bad judges. I'm, I'm putting in godly judges. I'm bringing in a, a, a glory. Or, okay, that's the one side, and we could be extravagant in that thought. Or is God saying through the church, America... Your time of expiration has come. You have sinned grievously against the Lord. You have turned your back, and not only turned your back, you have defied him. You have rebelled against him. You have promoted what you know is an abomination according to him. And you are living in this outrageous negative behavior. So, should the church be telling America, the church in America, should we be telling America, your days are numbered. The time of your collapse is at hand. Now, America being a very powerful nation is going to have an effect upon the nations of the earth. Is God speaking through the ecclesia globally? And should the spirit of the Lord be speaking through the church globally to all the nations of the earth? Your time is coming to an end. The days of man-made human government is over. We are now moving into the time where there is going to come a collapse of nations, and out of the ashes will rise a one-world government, a new world order. Within that context, Antichrist, Lucifer, is going to be ruling and reigning on earth, for three and a half years, 
1,260 days, 42 months, with as much chagrin and fury and wickedness that he possesses, which he embodies all of that, in a persecution against believers while deceiving the nations who will be worshiping him, are we at that time of the end-time Bible prophecy that the ecclesia should be telling the earth, or should all the Christians, the called-out ones, the church, be telling all the nations that they live in, we in America telling America, revival's coming. Mercy's coming. Streams of glory are coming to wash away the filth and to restore the glory. Well, this is important, isn't it? Because right now, we have to admit one thing, that the body of Christ is divided on this issue. There are believers that are insisting America is going to be great again in the sense, and the only true greatness, as so many pastors have said, the only thing great about America was its yieldedness to God, its yieldedness to Jesus Christ. That is the thing that made America great. Their moral righteousness because of their obedience to the gospel, their willingness to receive the words of God. So, what we admit is that this is a major division, but what we know is that God is not divided within himself. What we know is that there's one Holy Spirit, one truth, one baptism, one Lord, one faith. Okay, this is all Ephesians chapter 4. So if God is not divided, he's not schizophrenic, he's not bipolar, he's not double-minded, right? If God is just singular in himself and his purpose is singular, okay, what is the truth? Where are we? in our generation at this time in the history of the world. Waiting, expecting revival, which will produce a moral righteousness within our nation again, which would require the elimination, the eradication of evil judges, evil politicians, evil Hollywood. There'd be no more blasphemy in Hollywood, no more cursing, no more sin, no more all the evil out of our education system. I'm talking about if there's revival, it has to flush out out of every mechanism within our society. That stream have what would have to flow into the education, into Hollywood, into entertainment, into all the aspects of what we are as a nation. Is that what the church is laboring to tell the world? And why would God bring that moral righteousness to the nations of the earth that hate him. Is there a revival coming to the ecclesia, the called out ones who need a refreshing so that we could be strong and finish the race that God has called us to probably? But should the message coming from the church to the world be this positive, what they would call positive revival, or should the church be warning the world like Noah in the days of Noah that the end is coming. Should there be one singular voice from the one body of Christ who possesses the one Holy Spirit should have the same knowledge, wisdom, understanding, 
It's what Paul begged for. Remember in 1 Corinthians 1.10, he begged that they would all speak the same thing and they would have the same mind and the same judgment and be perfectly joined together in the same mind. So it's in the economy of God, the desire of God, that the church, only one church, there's not many churches, there's one body of Christ, okay, one called out people under the Lord, many different members, of course, but he would want one voice, one mind, one judgment. And yet we're finding ourselves today double-minded in the church. And so is there a way that we could look at Scripture and get the truth? We need to get the truth. What is the truth? Because here's the point. If it's God's will to bring revival to the nations of the earth right now, to eradicate from systems in all governments evil, unbelief, antichrist, right? If that's God's will, then the church needs to tell the world that. And then through the ecclesia, that needs to flow to the nations of the earth. It would be through the mechanism of the body of Christ that God would display his power and his glory. Okay? It's not just going to happen. There'd have to be something happen in the ecclesia to bring forth the revival, the restoration of the nations. Also, it's through the church that God would bring forth the heralding call, the warning, the time of your end has come. The time is elapsed, like in the days of Noah. So, what's the truth? What is the truth? Where are we? And that's why I was wanting to ask you earlier today what your thoughts were. And we had a decent conversation going on with a young lady that was talking about this is the time where God is going to restore and bring his glory into the nations of the earth. And I would imagine she understood that was going to happen through the ecclesia by the Holy Spirit manifesting forth through a body of Christ. Many of you I know on the other side are saying, no, that's not what's happening. We're here right now to preserve the values of the kingdom of God, which the enemy and the world is ready to trample upon. We know that there are prophecies about the last days that we're, we're literally seeing unfold before our eyes. And so many of us are saying, well, wait a second. No, this isn't a time for revival for America or the nations of the earth. Those days are long over. We have crossed the point of no return. The world is coming under the influence of the Antichrist more and more and more. It already is. It's been under the influence of the Antichrist for a long time, different nations around the world. But now at the end of the end of the end of the ages, as 2,000 years have passed in the church age, and we've seen a lot of historical data, you know, pointing out certain things, well, here we stand at a precipice. Which way is it? I have to do my job. You have to do your job. But we should be on the same page we should be able to clearly define through Scripture what time it is. Now, do I believe that a day is coming that the nations of the earth are going to undergo a restoration, a revival, and a restitution? Absolutely. Acts chapter 3 tells us all about it, and so do many other Scriptures. But my understanding of that moment is after the second coming of Jesus Christ— Okay, when he comes to gather together, 
his elect, okay, in the resurrection of the dead, in the translation or the harpazo, the being caught up together to meet him in the air, those who are alive and remaining. So we know when Jesus returns to planet Earth in the cloud, okay, he comes in the cloud. We know that he sends his angels and there is a resurrection of the dead. That's what we have studied. We know this. And we could study it again if we want to. We've been pure doctrine in this area. The Lord comes in a cloud. He never steps on the earth. Every one of the comings of the Lord spoken of in Scripture, he never comes on the earth until Revelation 19. In all the other scriptures, from Matthew 24 to 1 Thessalonians 4 to 1 Corinthians 15 to Revelation 1-7, all these scriptures about his coming are always about him coming in a cloud, but he always sends his angels to do the gathering, the resurrection of the dead, and then we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So he's always in the air. The only time he comes back on the earth is when he's coming to set up his millennial kingdom. At his coming, when he's in the cloud and the dead in Christ rise and we who are alive and remaining are caught off to meet the Lord in the air, we go off with the Lord and then the wrath of God is poured out. The seven vials of the wrath of God are poured out according to Revelation 16. Very clear, very precise, very simple how this works. In the resurrection, at the second coming, and in the translation or the catching up to be with the Lord, this all happens immediately after the tribulation of those days. It's always in context, this coming of the Lord in the clouds, after the tribulation. There is no such thing, as we know, as a pre-tribulational rapture. Okay, we've learned that the word rapture doesn't even exist in Scripture. It's a Latin word. But we also know that, that what they're referring to, because everybody that teaches the pre-tribulational rapture refers to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And anybody that has ever read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 without this influence on their mind realizes it has nothing to do with a pre-tribulational rapture. It has everything to do with the resurrection of the dead and then at the coming of the Lord, which is according to Matthew 24, immediately after the tribulation, then we know that there's a catching up of the church. But that's not our subject today. So we're looking and we're wanting to understand, and I know that's a hard, it's a hard thing for people to handle sometimes because You've heard your whole life about a preacher rapture. You may be listening right now saying, what are you talking about? There's no preacher rapture. Of course there's a preacher rapture. Well, actually, there's not. It doesn't exist in Scripture. Okay? And we have gone over that time and time and time again, and I, it, it's a very clear picture, and you could try to write movies, write books. You could do everything you want to try to prove that there's a preacher rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4. It does not exist. And uh, you have to have pure doctrine on this. So the persecution in the last days, the great tribulation period of time, is a time that is not the wrath of God. It's the wrath of the dragon. Okay, let's get our theology straight here. It is the wrath of the dragon. Should the church be preparing for the dragon's wrath and the beast and all that Revelation talks about, 
preparing itself to endure to the end, to have already within ourselves a sentence of death so that if we need to lay our lives down, we will, knowing that there'll be a great falling away from the faith and the love of many waxing cold and the apostasy that's going to take place in the last days. We want to endure to the end. Okay, we talked about this the other day about once saved, always saved, which also is a false doctrine. These are not doctrinal truths. Once saved, always saved, pre-tribulational rapture, and doctrines like these are literally filling people's hearts and minds, and either the people are just admiring their teachers to such a degree that whatever they say has to be the truth. Whereas we would say to you, you need to examine every single word that we speak, and if it doesn't line up with Scripture, then you need to be aware of that. But if I come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and try to convince you that there's a pre-trib rapture, can I do it as an example for just a moment? Can I turn with you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and prove to you, which I don't believe at all, I'm going to try to prove to you that the pre-tribulational rapture is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's see if I can do it, all right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Now, every teacher is telling their student, millions of them, here it is. This is the foundation. This is the pre-trib rapture chapter, okay? And they always begin in verse 13. And there's a reason why I'm doing this. I, there's a reason for the question that I'm asking. And I, I know I'm sidestepping a little bit, but it's been a strange morning anyways. So verse 13, Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. And I'm, I'm trying to find pre-trib rapture here, okay? But I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. Praise God. So Paul's going to tell us something so that we're not ignorant, okay? We're not, we're not ignorant about it. I don't want you to be ignorant. But what is he talking about? I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, dead. Okay? So Paul's writing a letter to living saints in Thessalonica, and he doesn't want them to be ignorant about what's going to happen to their dead loved ones. I don't want you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep or those that are died, that you sorrow not. In other words, I don't want you to be living on earth sorrowing because your, your loved one who believed in Jesus died. Paul's literally telling them, you shouldn't be sorrowing over their death. Okay, so I'm trying to find a preacher of rapture here. And right now it's all t- just talking about resurrection. So let me find this out here. So I don't want you to be ignorant concerning them that are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Okay, so we're talking about the world that has no hope in the resurrection or has no hope about the lost loved ones. Okay, I don't want you to sorrow like them that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died, I believe that, and rose again, I believe that, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, or they died in faith, believing in Jesus, Will God bring with him? Okay. 
so far, I'm going, okay, I've got to find the preacher of rapture here. And I'm trying to prove to you through this that there's a preacher of rapture. All right. But so far, all I'm reading about is a resurrection of dead believers and how that Paul's assuring us who are living that God's going to raise them from the dead. That's what it's about so far. Nothing about preacher of rapture yet, but I'm going to prove that it's there, right? Right. So verse 15 goes on to say, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Oh, what word of the Lord? You mean what Paul is about to say is going to be what the Lord said. So he's not speaking out of his own intelligence or an epiphany of his own from the Holy Spirit. But he's speaking, this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord. So he's referring, as you'll see in just a moment, to Matthew chapter 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, okay, that the Lord spoke these words. And here's what he's talking about. This we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain, so we're alive, we're living, we're remaining right here on planet Earth, we're, we're alive and remaining through something, right, unto the coming of the Lord. Now, what do you think he's referring to when he says we're alive and remaining unto the coming of the Lord? Well, here is where if I were a rapture teacher, I'd say, this is the secret coming of the Lord. That's what I would say. This is what they tell people, that you're alive and remaining um, at the coming of the Lord. Now, this is the secret, imminent coming of the Lord. That's what they tell people. But is that what the Lord said? Or is he referring to what the Lord said in Matthew 24, which we're going to look at in just a moment? So... Paul says that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So we're not going to go before them that died. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Now wait a second. Every single rapture book, movie I've ever saw or heard never shows a resurrection of the dead. It's always the rapture. Nothing about a resurrection. Why is that? I've got to explain that away somehow. But let me stay focused. <clears throat> he says, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, here's, here's what the rapture is. This is what everybody's talking about, right? The preacher of rapture. So there's got to be a resurrection before the rapture, if there's a preacher rapture. They never show that or talk about it in the books. This is a secret rapture they talk about in the books. It's supposedly right here. Then in verse 17, after the resurrection, then we which are alive and remain, then we which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them, the dead who rose first, in the clouds, see the Lord is still in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. He doesn't make landfall. He's in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, wait a second. Let's go to Matthew 24. When Paul says, this we say to you by the word of the Lord, what's he referring to? 
Well, here's Jesus' end-time reality. Verse 29, Matthew 24, 29. First, Jesus is talking about the Great Tribulation period. All throughout Matthew 24, he talks about the beginning of sorrows. He talks about the coming persecution. He talks about people falling away, the love of many falling away. He's talking about uh, a great tribulation in verse 21, such as was not since the beginning of the world to the time, to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And he, so he's talking about this great tribulation at the end of the age, before his return. Then he says in verse 29, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. It's going to be incredible upheaval, right? And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Okay, here he comes. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. We're going to see that in Revelation 1-7. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds, just like First Thessalonians said. He's coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So every eye is going to see him in the clouds. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. This is Thessalonians' language. There's angels, the trumpet, the clouds. Okay, When? Immediately after the tribulation. Very clear. Jesus said it. And then it says, And all the tribes of the earth shall mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Paul said the same exact thing. Thing, except Paul also understood that first, before the ones alive and remaining beyond the great tribulation, when the Lord returns immediately after the tribulation, there are those alive and remaining. Paul said there will be a resurrection when the Lord comes in the clouds. He says it. It says he those alive and remaining. Unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. We just read it. The dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to, meet the, to, to, to be in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, I'm just giving you an example. How does somebody read? I can't convince you. I'm trying to say... How could I possibly convince them that 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to the end, is about the pre-tribulational secret imminent rapture? I can't. It's not there. But I could read about the imminent rapture, how Paul condemned that theology in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And again, there's a reason for talking about this. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the words again. We beg you. We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. In Matthew 24, he sends his angels to gather his elect. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he 
sends his angels to gather his elect. He gathers the dead in Christ. He gathers those alive and remaining. We all get to meet the Lord. It's a gathering, an ingathering to, to the Lord. So now Paul's saying, I'm beseeching you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. See, it was a doctrine of imminency. And they were being told that any moment now, you see, this is it, any moment, the Lord's coming. And this is what people today are teaching, that the secret pre-trib rapture that's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is going to happen any moment now. It's any moment. Just get ready. It's any moment. Here he comes. Here he comes. And, whoa, you may have missed it. No, but Paul straightens that out, and he says, don't be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, the day of the coming of the Lord, where the dead in Christ rise. We are alive and remain. You'll be caught up to meet the Lord immediately after the tribulation, right? That day cannot come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he, as God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is the Antichrist. This is Lucifer. Same description as Isaiah 14. This description in 2 Thessalonians 2 is identical to Isaiah 14, and it describes Lucifer. I will ascend above the stars. I shall be as God. That's what he said. So this day of being caught up to the Lord, to be gathered together with the Lord, can't happen until the Antichrist comes. The secret pre-trib rapture is before the tribulation, before the Antichrist comes, we're out of here. Paul refuted that doctrine strongly. He said, don't be troubled. Don't be thinking, you know, the day of Christ is at hand. It's all imminent. So that's what the Bible says. And yet millions and millions and millions of people are believing they will not have to be on earth during the Great Tribulation. The problem with that is because they don't believe they're going to be here. When they're here, they are going to be completely unprepared to face the great tribulation, which is going to require an endurance to be alive and remaining. Now, many people are going to die during the great tribulation. There's going to be tremendous persecution globally, and there's going to be a martyrdom that's going to happen. The book of Revelation talks about those that were under the altar, the martyrs who died for their faith in Christ, that they needed to wait until their brethren are going to die the way that they did in martyrdom. And we're seeing martyrs in the last century, more in 1900 years of the church age, and more are coming. The end times are here. The great tribulation is knocking at the door, blowing the door down. The signs of the time of the beginning of sorrows are all over the world. So if Jesus, in his teaching in Matthew chapter 24, is talking about the beginning of sorrows as great deception, wars, rumors of wars, 
earthquakes, famines, unstable times, commotions, turmoils, pestilences. And he's talking about an in general upheaval, the stirring of the nations of the earth and all this crazy stuff going on. And then he says, then when all that beginning of sorrows is taking place, something's going to happen. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. And he's talking directly to the disciples now. The beginning of sorrows is a general reality that Jesus wanted us to be aware of. He wanted us to know that when we see major earthquakes and we see wars and rumors of wars and we see a time of great deception, when we see pestilence and plague, and you say, well, that's always been here. Well, you see, even that is a Bible prophecy in Second Peter chapter 3 that the time will come where scoffers will come and say, these things have been going on from the beginning of the world but they miss some of the important things associated with the signs of the times. Right now, we are a much smaller planet through modern technology, through in, uh, electronical or interconnectedness, electronic interconnectedness. Um, we push a button, we, could trans, we can go all over the world, get information, knowledge everywhere. We're interconnected. Okay, that didn't happen up until our generation. Israel become a nation. That didn't happen for 1,900 years until our generation. The technological explosion, people traveling. And there's other scriptures we're going to get into in just a moment. So the general beginning of sorrows is where the nations of the earth go into turmoil. We're there with the added biblical prophecies. And then he directs this comment, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. He's talking now to the church the ecclesia, and they shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Now, wait a second. Why are many going to get offended and hate one another and betray one another in the body of Christ? He's not talking about the world. He's directing how this tribulation, this persecution, is going to affect believers who once had the love of God, but it will wax cold, as you'll see in a moment. They had fellowship, but now they betray one another. They hate one another. Why? Because the, whole, the church is hated by all the nations of the earth. Today, the church is trying to befriend the world. But James wrote, if you're a friend of the world, you become an enemy of God. Our being on this earth is not to befriend the world. It's to warn the wicked of the righteousness and the light and truth and that we all need to repent like we did. We never are to befriend the world, for he's a friend of the world, is an enemy of God. Again, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. For he who loves the world has not the love of the Father in him. So we're not to love the world, we're not to befriend the world, we're in the world, we're not of the world. We got born again and called out of it, just like everybody else needs to be. But the time is coming where all the nations of the earth are going to hate Christians who bear the true name of Jesus Christ. Not the false Messiah, not the false doctrine and the false gospel and the counterfeit Holy Spirit and the fake Jesus. Paul the Apostle said, if anybody preaches another Jesus or you receive another spirit, or preach another gospel. There is another. There's a direct counterfeit to the true Christ. There's false Christ coming everywhere. 
Who is the true Jesus? What is the true gospel? What does it mean to be truly baptized in the true Holy Spirit, right? Don't you think it's important if there's a counterfeit and you could be deceived? Well, when we read scriptures where people are preaching once saved, always saved, the pre-trib rapture, and you're finding now that you just simply read the Bible, it's not true. It's not really there. Well, what other deceptions are running wild in the minds and the imaginations of Christians around the world? I think it's very, very clear in our generation that the signs of the times are everywhere. And when we look through the biblical lens to the signs of the times, it becomes clear in our generation, which is unique to any other generation on the face of the earth. We know the preterist doctrine isn't true. We know in 70 AD, the Lord did not return on a white horse and set up his millennial kingdom. <clears throat> if the last 2,000 years has been the righteous rule and reign of Jesus Christ, how bizarre would that be? Bubonic plagues, World War I, World War II, Inquisitions. I mean, the, 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 the Roman government throwing people into the lion's dens. I mean, that's under the rule of Jesus Christ? Come on. So we know that preterist doctrine, it's already been fulfilled, is not real. In 2,000 years, there have been, in every generation, previews, signs that Jesus talked about, have always been there. I don't doubt that. They have always been there. There's always been wars. There's always been pestilence and plague. There's no doubt. We can't deny that. We would never deny that. But none of those generations, according to the end-time prophecy, afforded Jesus Christ coming back, the dead rising, those alive and remaining caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That never happened. That has never happened. In 2,000 years, the Lord has never come in the clouds. The graves have never opened in the end-time prophecy. I know when he died, the graves were open, but that's not what we're talking about, not even in the same ballpark. We're talking about at his coming, not at his resurrection, at his coming in the clouds, the dead rising, those alive and remaining. That hasn't happened. Even though the signs have been in generation to generation, What follows the signs has never happened. But in our generation, we're very unique, once again, because in our generation, we are the generation that has witnessed Israel become a nation after 1,900 years of scatteredness. We are the generation that has witnessed the exponential rise of technology, just like Daniel 12 said. And we're traveling all over the world on wings, just like Daniel said. And there's more prophecy to come. So there's got to be a generation where the signs of the times are everywhere. They accelerate, they intensify, and that's when we're supposed to know what to do. Jesus said, when you see these things begin to come to pass, flee to the mountains of Judea. I wonder if the saints in 70 AD, in the time of the destruction of the temple, which was part of the end time prophecy that Jesus talked about, and it was just at that period of time, but his second coming comes to the end of time. I wonder in 70 AD, when all the signs were there, if the Christians would have stood around saying, well, let's try to save the Roman Empire. 
let's try to bring a revival to Jerusalem. No. They knew those that escaped into the mountains of Judea. They knew what the Lord said. That the Lord told them, when you see these things, you flee. You don't come down out of your, uh, off your roof into your house to get your stuff or come back from the field to get your stuff. You go. What if they would have had the mindset, well, maybe we could you know, bring revival to Jerusalem, save the Roman Empire, pray for the glory of God. It just wasn't that way. And you have to ask yourself, why is it that way today? Why are people thinking that way? And are they the same people that believe in the pre-tribulational rapture? Once saved, always saved? Is this a deception that is blinding beautiful people that they just can't read for themselves? They have some teacher giving them ideas and suggesting those ideas are coming out of the Bible, but when you go to the suggested references, it's not there? How does that happen? So I'm going back to my question again. I'm going back to my question. What should the church's message be to the world right now? I've got a call coming in, and I'm going to go ahead and take the call and say good morning to our brother that's out there today, 479-238. Good morning. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. You're on the air. Good morning, Pastor. Great conversation. You know, when you look at the studies that have been done over the years, 20% of the people pay 20% or 20% of the people pay 80% of the church's expense. In other words, 20% of the people tithe on average, not every church, but on average. Okay, it talks about a great falling away. It talks about in the days of Noah. Well, we know only eight people got on the boat in the days of Noah, and there were millions of people that, that were on the earth at that time. We know that it says that, that broad is a path that leads to destruction, and narrow is a path that leads to righteousness. So when there's a great falling away, that so-called end-time revival they're talking about, it's not in the Bible. I believe it's going to be the 20% are going to be, everybody's going to say, wow, what happened? But the 20%, the ones that were faithful with what God gave them, they're going to have an opportunity to, to, to come to an ecclesia and, and, and to be ministered to and to be shown the truth. The 80%, they're, they're going to go their own way. They're going to say, look over there. This guy's doing miracles. Let's follow him. Or look over there. This guy's doing great wonders. Let's follow him. But the ones that were true with what God gave them, that 20%, that'll be the ones that will be joining the ecclesia. That will be the ones that will be joining the body, in my opinion, Pastor. Yeah, amen. Well, well said. It's not really an opinion. It's really the Word of God, and it's scriptural, and it's based. I've got a question coming in. Great comments. I appreciate them. Thank you so very much. Um, I've got this interesting comment uh, coming from our dear friend, Rabbi Israel Goldberg from Jerusalem, Israel. And uh, uh, Mr. Goldberg says, all this happened in 66 to 70 AD. I thought you knew this. Yeshua returned in the clouds of glory and was seen by thousands. And the, <clears throat> excuse me. And the resurrection is Matthew 27:52. Tribulation was 63 to 70 AD. Hmm. All right. So let's talk about it. And I get it. I have many dear friends who are preterists. 
And preterism simply declares that <clears throat> this already has all been fulfilled, all Bible prophecy. But then I would have to appeal <clears throat> to our understanding, if that is true. And remember, the, uh, and, I, and I didn't know this was said on here. I just was speaking to it in the spirit, I guess. In Matthew twenty-seven fifty-two, when Jesus died on the cross, the graves opened and <clears throat> the, uh, in the graveyards. And when Jesus rose from the dead, they came out of the graves and they went to Jerusalem. That was not Jesus coming out of the clouds in his coming to the Lord, number one. That's not the, the resurrection. So the resurrection that we're talking about is immediately after the tribulation when the Lord comes in the clouds and he sends his angels to gather and the dead in Christ rise. Now, my, my further point is this. If everything was fulfilled in 70 AD, that would necessitate that the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ would follow. That's Bible prophecy. That's clear that immediately after the tribulation comes the dead in Christ rising, the gathering to the Lord. Then as we understand the revelation, the vials of wrath are poured out upon the nations of the earth. And then the Lord returns in Revelation 19 to set up his millennial kingdom. We have not seen the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ, where he and his church are ruling and reigning while Satan is locked up in a prison. Now, I don't know how far back we want to go, but we could talk about the persecution that hit the early the, the church in the book of Acts. Hmm. A lot of persecution. We could go back to the times of the Roman Colosseums, where Rome was making sport out of Christians. Christians were being persecuted. Christians were scattering. And this is, again, at a time where you would call the Great Tribulation. But let's go forward now to the year 300. Surely by the year 300, there should have been the righteous rule and reign of Jesus Christ on the earth with his ecclesia. And yet, what do we find there? We find Christians going to war to join the Roman Empire. We see um, uh, the... Uh, the Goths or, uh, you know, these, the, the Visigoths and uh, these different warrior troops. There's still war in the earth is the point. There are still famines. There are still pestilences. There are earthquakes. There are still all these events that are going on, right? And then we fast forward to the Dark Ages, and then we could get to the Crusades, okay? Now we go to the time of the Crusades, and there's war, Muslims and Christians and Jews. And then we go to the Inquisition, where the Catholic Church is slaughtering Christians and believers. And then we go fast forward into uh, World War I, World War II. We get into the bubonic plague. We get into the Bolshevik Revolution. We get into the Ukrainian Revolution. We get into uh, governments slaughtering their people. How could that be the reign of Jesus Christ on earth with Satan bound while the church and Christ are ruling and reigning for a thousand years? That doesn't apply. We have not been in the kingdom of Jesus Christ in the sense of him governing the earth. If Christ was governing the earth and, and, and everything we witness in 2,000 years is a result of his government, then we'd have to say he's a lousy governor. He would be a lousy government. 
And we know that's not true. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he hasn't begun to govern the earth yet. His power and influence has been in here through the ecclesia. But the ecclesia today is so confused and scattered. And even when the ecclesia was in the earth in some of their strongest moments, there was always opposition. Where did the opposition come from? The church should have been ruling and reigning with a rod of iron. And there may have been some places where we saw God's glory manifest here and there, types and shadows, previews. But we can't say, I can't come to a place of believing that the 2,000 years of the church age has been the righteous rule of Jesus Christ, which leads me to believe that the scriptures have not yet been fulfilled. 70 AD, there was a collapse of the temple in Jerusalem. And by the way, we forgot about World War II, 6 million Jewish men and women and children being turned over to a Nazi regime. How is that Christ ruling and reigning? Mm -mm, It's not happening. It's not true. So then we have to go back to scripture and say, okay, what happened in 70 AD? Well, there was coming an end to to the Jewish world, if you will, temple worship, and there was judgment coming. In Jerusalem, it's a small little place in the center of the world. And Jesus talked about a time where their temple stones would be thrown to the ground. He talked about a time of them being scattered. But he also spoke all the way to his second coming. And to to necessitate his second coming in 70 AD is to say that now his millennial reign began. It did not begin. He was simply bringing an end to what was known as Judaism in the realm of temple worship. They lost their sacrifices. They were scattered to the ends of the earth, Bible prophecy being fulfilled. And not until 1948 were the documents written up to regather the nation of Israel to Israel. They still do not have their temple. But the leaders of the Temple Institute are still, and the Israeli people are longing for. When I was in Jerusalem, Israel, I asked the the rabbis, I asked the guys down at the Wailing Wall, what is your greatest hope? We want our temple back. And the temple is ready to go. That temple is going to be realized. That temple is going to be realized in the last days because the Antichrist has to go into that temple. The temple is, and I, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, A rebuilt temple for the Jewish people is a great act of rebellion because, again, they're going to go back to animal sacrifices, never receiving the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is an act of rebellion, resistance, and rejection, and that's why the Antichrist will go into the temple in the last days. That temple will become a reality in Jerusalem, Israel. In these last days, Revelation chapter 11, and in other verses, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So we have no problem believing that a temple will be rebuilt, but in 1900 years, a scattered people coming back, they've never had their, okay? So again, Bible prophecy in the last days, this is critical to get a sound mind. I mean, I... I would sit with anybody and ask for explanation. How can you say such things? How can you say there's a pre-trib rapture? How could you say that once saved, always saved is in this book? 
How can you say that the great tribulation spoken of in Scripture is already gone? How could you say these things? As far as a, a total reality, and yet we would read the book of Revelation and see that everything that was spoken of in Scripture is swirling around us with great power. So, where are we? Are we to proclaim American greatness or are we to proclaim the end of things? Let's take our next call. Area code 479-855-2584. You're on the line. Good morning. God bless you. Well, good morning, Pastor. How are we doing today? We're doing okay. It's been a really strange Friday, but it's okay. It sure is, and you, what I'm going to say is probably going to sound strange, too. But I, I, I'm listening to, to the broadcast, and the things that are going on is very similar to what's happening on your broadcast. One minute you're on, one minute you're off. Next minute, you, you know, you, you listen and you hear, and I, the, another analogy that I kept thinking of is that like a, a glass of water that's half full, or is it half empty? It's in the eyes of the beholder. And I believe that we really have to begin to look at the scriptures to really understand what's going on, which is what you are doing. Now, some people will say they'll take a different view of the scriptures, but what we really need to do is really begin to pray, really begin to seek the Lord, seek the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, the Holy Spirit's job is to bring us to Jesus and for Jesus to bring us to the Father. So if we're truly seeking the truth of what we're supposed to be doing and what is going on, we need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit once and for all. Let him bring us to the scriptures that we need to fulfill, the things that we need to go ahead and do, things that we need to begin to pray, and listen to him, because that's the only way we're going to really seek the truth. And again, as I said, he's going to bring us back to the scriptures. He's going to bring back to bring us back to Jesus because Jesus is the word and as he directs and as he leads and we sincerely fulfill what the scriptures say that is what we need to do so in essence what I'm saying is that we really really need to pray we really need to spend time we really need to seek the direction of the Lord because that is what we're supposed to do and we're going to watch and see things happen in our lives that are most important for each and every one of us, and that is to do the will of God in all things. So my, I would say we have to pray and follow the word of God and the direction of the Spirit. Amen. Cannot argue with that. Cannot argue with that. And pray for divine intelligence, for the Holy Spirit mind to operate in our lives so that we're not deceived, we're not off base, we're not missing something, um, we're blinded by something. So yeah, I agree with that. Absolutely praying all the time consistently in Jesus' name. Amen. Well said, Pastor Ken. Appreciate your comments. Thank you so much. And uh, as we continue on in the broadcast right now, we, I want to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. 2 Timothy 3, 1. Again, an end-time passage. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. How many of you know that 
perilous times are here. Second Peter 3.3, 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. I could go on and give you probably 30, 40 scriptures about the things going on in the world today that were recorded in scripture, that when you look at it, it's undeniable. These are the signs of the times. We need Jesus Christ to return to this earth. The body of Christ is so scattered today, spiritually, mentally. And he's got to find in believers some singularity. I always believe that our unity as believers in Jesus Christ is at the cross. I really believe that. And if our generation is going to experience a baptism of the Holy Spirit, a fresh outpouring of the Spirit, which we believe for, if we're going to experience that, then a lot of our disunity in doctrinal understanding has to be met with our singular agreement that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. That is the one thing that we all have in common. We are sinners saved by grace through faith by what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. And because of what he did on the cross, the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of our sins we now receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and are born again and begin to live out a brand new life because a new seed was planted in the good soil of our hearts. My point again is if we're going to find some starting point of conversation and searching for truth to get same judgment, same mind, be perfectly joined together as Paul required and asked for, it's going to have to begin at the cross again. We all have to go back there. And I don't know how else it could possibly be done other than people scattered all over the earth and certain people by the Holy Spirit have come to a place of truth and enlightenment and comprehension that God will gather together at a certain time. I don't know how it's going to work. But I do know that as I can tell in Scripture, America is not going into revival. America and the nations of the earth are going into utter and complete apostasy of falling away unto the Antichrist, the beast, the dragon. And who is that? That's Satan. And the God of this world has blinded their minds. The God of this world has blinded their minds who have rejected the knowledge of Yeshua, the knowledge of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever truth you have through your faith in Christ in Scripture, guard it with all of your heart because there are forces coming to steal, kill, and destroy whatever light, whatever truth is in this earth. And if you are a carrier of the cargo of Christ in your heart, your target, come back to the cross. Yeah, that's what Passover was all about, wasn't it? And now we're preparing ourselves for Pentecost, Shavuot. And what we see 
through scripture, what we discern by the Spirit is the coming great tribulation that Jesus spoke about 2,000 years ago, which is two days ago to him. We are the generation, and we should be preparing. We should be salt and light to everyone we meet everywhere we go. We should be the proclaimers of Christ. We should be those that are reaching out to save souls, no doubt about it. Go out, preach the gospel wherever you go. Share the love of Christ with everyone you meet. We don't have to have big gatherings in in concert halls. Just go as you go. Each one, reach one. If you in one week can turn one soul from eternal damnation, you have created joy in heaven because when one sinner repents, all the angels in heaven rejoice. You could spend one week of seven days and go after that one and convince them of their need of salvation through Jesus Christ. Then you could actually begin to disciple them personally, bring them to a fellowship where the truth of God is being taught, where there's Bible study and things are being examined. We're all coming from a different place, but by the Holy Spirit, we can be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. I believe that what we spoke about today is being spoken of all over the world, and that truth is going to enter into people's hearts and minds who once believed in the pre-trib rapture, once saved, always saved, preterism, universal reconciliation, all these doctrines that are out there. If people are sincere seekers, the truth will eventually seep in and bring a revelation and repentance to turn away from false doctrine and false teachings that really produce no good fruit. We're in the end times. The signs of the times are everywhere. We're in the last days. The Lord is coming immediately after this final great tribulation that's going to happen all over the world at the same time where all the nations of the earth are going to worship the dragon and the beast. It's coming. It's already happening. The mark of the beast is knocking at the door. Vaccinations, digital currencies, it's all moving in the direction of what the Bible said would be in the last days. A global vaccination, global COVID passports, a global digital economy, a global world court, a global military power, the end of sovereign nations, the breaking of sovereign independent nations in order to lasso all the nations under one power source, Satan. It's all happening as we speak. America is a divided nation. Jesus said, a house divided cannot stand. And there is no bringing the left and the right together at this point. It's not going to happen because each are demanding their own way and it's never going to work. Police reform isn't going to work. It's never going to work 
there's too much discontent and dissatisfaction. So we know the collapse of the United States of America is at the door. We also know that the global oligarchy of elites are doing everything they can to control, to manipulate, to release power upon the nations because it's satanic energy to bind their minds to the enemy. We know these things are true. We're not making them up. We're not being conspiratorial in our thinking. We're reading the Bible and we're witnessing what Jesus said would be in the last days. The call is to wake up, to realize that we may have to endure and be here at a time when you cannot buy or sell without receiving the mark of the beast. That we may be here at a time when great global persecution against Christianity will break out all over the earth. And a new form of Christianity will be appreciated and valued, which is a false Christianity. We may be here in this generation to face what has been concealed from millennia, Satan, Lucifer, manifested on earth. We are living in a time of population reduction. There has to be a culling out of the population. You have to thin the population in order to maintain control over it. To the Pharaoh of Egypt, he wanted a culling of the population by killing the male children because the people were growing so rapidly and they would take over. The global elite, the Pharaohs of today, the Roman emperors of today do not want humanity to grow to the degree of becoming more powerful than itself. So now comes the biblical population reduction in global war, global pestilence, global plague, global upheavals of nature. It's all happening. It's not fear mongering. It's not drama It's not false imagination. You're living through it. The problem is so many people, like the wise virgins and the the foolish virgins, are sound asleep. They're sound asleep. And the darkness is coming, where there will be no light any longer to do anything. Work while there's light. For the nighttime comes where no man will be able to work. Time of preparation will come to an end. You will face whatever is coming with what you have prepared. When you wake up and realize that the Antichrist is here, the Great Tribulation is here, you're going to have to receive a mark to buy or sell. You're going to realize we weren't pre-tribulationally raptured. Now your salvation is on the line because the love of many is going to wax cold. People who once loved are going to hate and betray. That's a salvation issue. That's That's why he who endures to the end shall be saved. We are in for some pretty intense times. And while we're living in the midst of these times, not willing to ignore them, we're not going to bury our head in the sand and pretend that's not real. We're going to 
live in the midst of this with faith, hope, and love. We are not of this world. And if we live an acceptable life before the Lord as the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do so, we know that we will be divinely led by the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit into Goshen's, into arks, into refuges. There is a wilderness that God has prepared for his people, the overcomers, the woman. For three and a half years, she will be nourished and taken care of. We know these things. We know that the untold multitude of believers around the world, according to Revelation 7, are going into the great tribulation. But they're going to have their robes washed in the blood of the Lamb during that time. Simple Bible prophecy. Not gloom and doom, not fear-mongering or drama. Bible prophecy. When Jesus spoke what would be, he wasn't using gloom and doom, theater, drama. He was telling them the truth. This is the truth. We have been blessed. We have received Christ. We live in the greatest nation on the face of the earth. But this nation has turned away, and that's going to create a problem. The liberties and the freedoms that we've always enjoyed are diminishing. And eventually, living here or anywhere on this planet, you can't travel, you can't go to the store, you can't do anything without being a part of that system, you need to be prepared to go through for three and one half years. That's the number. The Bible gives us the time frame. Three and a half years. Great tribulation. Has never been before, will never be again. You're in it. We're going to it. Have you finished your ark? It's not going to be waters that flood us this time. It's going to be fire. God has reserved the earth unto fire. And this is intense. This is talking about nuclear war. This is talking about upheaval of nations. World War III takes what? Over 1.5 billion people in the upcoming war. Are you really ready Are you really willing to deny what is coming? Because Jesus said, behold, I have told you before it comes so you know. He didn't want his people to be caught off guard. He forewarned them of what would be. We're living in a time, if there's still denial out there, what we just walked through a year ago, 2020. Are we still in denial of where we are? We shouldn't be. We should be thanking God for every breath we have, praising the Lord for the benefits that he's daily loaded us with. We should be living an abundant life, walking in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, in the joy of the Lord, but aware. But aware. See, you and I have the same mandate as the Christians 2,000 years ago that were thrown into the lion's den or into the Colosseums to be made sport of. They were Christians just like us. They were told to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. They were told to enjoy the abundant life that Christ has given it. But there they were in the lion's dens. 
Did they keep their faith? They were in the catacombs. They lived in caves and dens, rocks of the earth. The world was not worthy of them. They were told to enjoy the abundant life of Jesus Christ, the blessing of the Lord. But they also knew that persecution was real. Martyrdom was real. And we need to wake up here at the end of the end of the ages and understand what time it really is. What does that propel me to do? Propels me to prepare. It propels me to prepare. I've got a call coming in from area code 605. These are our friends from South Dakota. Take that call. Good morning. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. You're on the air. Hello. Area code 605. You're on the air. Okay, I think we lost area code 605. I may have been talking too long. Well, listen, uh, we've been on the air a little bit longer than usual, and um, we apologize for the technical difficulties up front. We're going to leave it here for now. We're going to get ready for our Shabbat tonight. Our weekend is filled with uh, gatherings together and Bible studies. And Lord willing, we'll see you back on the air Tuesday. You've been listening to The Watchman here on Omega Radio. Right now, if you're listening in, you want to go to Omega Radio 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you want to hear a roundtable discussion. And following that roundtable discussion is a meeting with Daniel Seckham. It's a recorded 58-minute talk about what's going on in the Middle East, and I'd like you to get there as well, okay? So having said all of that, I trust you're going to have an incredible weekend. Till we meet again, shalom. Pastor Vince, over and out.